and happy Thursday. This is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio for Downs and Flip Tricks, and it is the 19th day of April. And yes, it is a Thursday. I'm here. I've got a special guest in the studio. We have the NFL Draft is coming up next week, where I will be, and, well, I won't be there, but I will be covering it. However, my guest in the studio may be there. I'm not sure. We'll find out here in just a moment. Super excited and thankful to welcome... L.A. Rams reporter, former ESPN co-anchor of SportsCenter AM Morning Show. She's a social media manager for, Na- she was, for Na- National Geographic's Wildlife. She exploded their social media from 300000 to $6 million in a year. She's an athlete, Syracuse alum, New York Yankees fan, who still has an 80-mile-an-hour fast pitch, from I can what hit. I understand. I can oh, hit. you can hit at 80 miles an I hour. Can nice. Hit. She's bilingual. She's got a list of accolades. We could stay, I could probably keep going for about an hour <laughs> on the accolades. Great. I'll just stay quiet. Like, this is fantastic. <laughs> she got tons of broadcasting and marketing uh, assets and experience. She produces things from top to bottom, from in front of and behind, uh, and obviously a ton of marketing with, uh, as, as she demonstrated with National Geographic's Wildlife. Uh, in addition, Nike uh, brand ambassador and reporter, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then the list goes on and on. Says you uh, did your homework. This is crazy. So, <laughs> well, and she's even got the ability to make a scarf interview an NFL player, which is for me like that's a huge one. So, uh, without further ado, I w- I'm super thankful to welcome Serena Morales. Yeah, no, thank you for having me and knowing everything about. I feel like there's nothing for me to really say. There's oh. all, you got it, you got everything. Okay, we're done. All right, <laughs> see you later, guys. Uh, yeah, I will not be at the draft. I'll be hanging tight with uh, with the coaching staff in you know in Agoura Hills or in Thousand Oaks here in uh, Los Angeles. So I will not be there. We're 31st pick. The Rams are known to give it away at times. So. We'll see what happens, but I'll be hanging tight and, and watching magic happen come draft. Yeah, they're not too many. I want to say that like 31, 94, 99, 133, 169, 203, yeah. and 251. I mean, We're later. you know, no, not even a second rounder. And, uh, you We're know. We're kind of stacked. I mean, I don't know. You guys well, and you, just paid oh, attention to the Super Bowl. We were there. Yeah. We were in that game. <laughs> we didn't play as well as we wanted to, but we were. we made it to the game. Huge, yeah. you know, and I want to talk to you about that as well because that's sort of a – your experience getting here last May, and I mean, I would imagine a whirlwind um, in in a lot of wonderful and probably ups and down ways. You know, moving from the East Coast yeah. to Los Angeles, but which is fantastic usually. However, sports demographic, I don't know how that was for you. I would imagine that would have been a little challenging, um, not so much for you and your prep, but of the fan base. Yeah, it was, a, it was probably a mixture of everything, personal and career-wise, professionally. Uh, when I So last year, it was a little over a year ago in August, I found out ESPN was, was let, letting me go as well. And there were about 400 on-camera anchors, reporters, the whole shebang being laid off. And I missed that first huge round, and then they, they had the trickle effect, and I was one of those. And so... Um, it was sort of like a big, like everything happened at once. I, I was with someone, I was, I was dating a guy for a while that, that we broke up, the get laid off from, you know, working at your dream job. And then I went overseas to take sort of a vacation, like eat, pray, love, let's do this situation. <laughs> Did you go to Italy? I, didn't, I went to <laughs> Bali. I went oh. to Indonesia by myself. And I'm usually traveling by myself to random countries because with my job, you know this, like it's weird to schedule around your friends. So I'm just like, you know what? I'll just go on my own. It'll be fine. And I've been doing this for years. Went to Indonesia and I got dengue fever out there. I got bit by a mosquito. Oh my I was God. hospitalized. I really was like, I thought there was a moment where I was like, I might not make it back to America. So I was in the hospital. Um, shout out to my boy, Amin Hassan, who works at ESPN. He's an NBA insider. And he basically FaceTimed me. I was asking him like, What's our ESPN insurance? Am I going to be covered out here? Like like the random things that you're like, oh, thank goodness I'm still covered by insurance. And thankfully, I have someone who will pick up the phone right now and I'm not freaking my mom out. Uh, yeah, found an emergency room and, you know, the whole, I, I came back, you know. I ended up staying out there once I healed because I was like, oh, it'll take seven days to, to heal once I'm good. Okay, I'll stay here. So I stayed another week. Uh, but yeah, I came back. So it was just a car, like a t- tough mental like year for me. I was looking for work. 
work in this business is very hard to come by. So um, I'd never covered a football team to this capacity in this detail. So it was a bit of an intimidation factor for me going into covering a team where, you know, the head coach, Sean McVay, is a savant of his own. He's my age. So I'm just kind of like, I can't, I can't do this job. This is the way, I can't do this. And um, thankfully, the guy who hired me, Jory Hirsch, and, and all of the Rams, I mean, you go through the process, but they were like, nah, man, we feel like you'd be good for this job. You can do your homework, all that. And now I'm, I'm watching film with the scouts. Like, I love the X's and O's game plan. Like, I'm a big fan of watching the game itself, um, not following the ball. Uh, you know, I grew up playing baseball in the Bronx. So, you know, having another sport to really understand the X's and O's has been actually really exciting. I'll take the challenge. Mama's had challenges and I'm like, I'm done now. But these are challenges that I would gladly accept. So it's been a great year. And then, yeah, going to the Super Bowl your first year with the team. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> you got to feel a little bit like a good luck charm, too, in some capacity. Oh, I totally told uh, Joe Barry, the assistant coach of the Rams, I was like, by the way, you know this is me. And he was like, oh, for sure. I told I told Sean. I told him. I was like, okay, just, just letting, solid. <laughs> glad that we're on the same page here. <laughs> Oh, awesome. I, and I love that you bring up the X's and O's because that's what I like and that's what I watch for um, is who's blocking. And, you know, I, I watch the line and I watch, you know, I mean, I, you just watch all the details, you know, um, and having privy, being privy to um, actual game film is really special as well. Yeah. And, and you know, it's I'm spoiled to death because, yeah, I go to the Super Bowl the first year I cover this team, but also I'm spoiled because the coaching staff, like who the Rams are internally as far as like, what is being fueled and the oil that's pumping this team is fascinating. Every coach is hand-selected by the top, and it really goes down. I mean, the fact that the Rams have male cheerleaders, and that's okay. Like, these things, I mean, you think about the NFL, and you think about the reputation and, and how they, you know, as a whole, there's a lot of conflict with it. But as far as the Rams and what they represent for the NFL, I think is a really great thing, and for me to be part of that alone. And then for them, yeah, to be like, yo, like let's get her in a film room and, you know, the scouts that have helped me, you know, understand things. And for, again, learning from someone like Sean McVay, who's this, you know, offensive savant, and to watch some of the things that he does, having our, our wide receivers as blockers and act as tight ends practically, and to see the 11 personnel that we run over 90% of the time, and to see that work, that system work so well, I'm like, oh, man, like... Put me out there, coach. I think I could try this. I could. Yeah. Like, it almost makes you feel right. Like when you master something, they say the master makes it look easy. It's not easy, but they make it look very easy. Like we make our jobs look pretty, like decent. Like I could do that, but that you've mastered it so well that to the, the human eye, it's like, oh, okay, I understand the basics. All the stuff that's going on behind is what really is so fascinating. And so for me to be able to look at Sean's, you know, work and be like okay, he's making this look easy and then understanding the complications behind it all. I mean, I've, I'm have i in love with it all. Like, it's great and it's been great to be with this team. I love these guys. They treat me like they're brothers, unfortunately and fortunately. <laughs> um, it's been nice to, you know, they started their, their off-season practices and, you know, for some of the guys to be like, oh, you're good? Where are you? Like, where, what's happening? I was like, dude, I'm still he healing from tonsil tonsillectomy. I don't have, you know, I haven't had food in a couple of weeks. And they were like, oh, okay, we didn't realize that you were out. So for them to miss me and, and to feel like I'm part of this family has been cool. Right on. Yeah. And I did want to mention, you know, it's really, you know, that's, that was actually one of our windows to be able to have you in as well as this recoup time. And I'm so glad you're recouping so well. Yeah, I know. Like I'm out of work, so I'll be back Monday, guys. Okay. So it's okay. <laughs> it's all okay. You'll Ready be there. Ready to go. Yeah, yeah. For, so. Yeah. Cause we practices uh, for chargers, I believe Monday. Mm -hmm. I have, and then what is it? Thursday, obviously, there's meetings with the coaches. Yep. I'm assuming the same for, for same you as for well, same schedule. Yep. Um, and the, both the LA teams started back on the 15th last Monday. So. Yeah, I know. They're all ready to go. It's kind of yeah. wild. It's kind of cool, yeah. We, and, and especially our, our season was cut short for great things because we were in the Super Bowl. I'm like, already? Are we doing this? Is this happening right now? Okay. Oh, we're back. Okay. So. Yeah, but then it's sort of like shotgunning a near beer almost because then this we're back and then... And then, and then we're not, and then the guys leave in, in June, sure. first week in June. And then they're not back until August, For sure. but, yeah. but you know, it's still, it's like that. Uh, yeah. Okay, good. I can, I can do this yeah. I, for me. I can do this. Uh, now this team, um, I sadly didn't get to meet you in Atlanta and I was out there and I was staying at the Marriott Marquis and I went out last minute. My sponsors helped me out and went out last minute, so I only had a three-day pass. So I, did, I had to give my pass every day, which the, me the media center, 
And then the Rams were at the opposite direction. Yes. And then the pressers were at 9 a.m. So I was sadly didn't go to go and uh, do any interviews with the Rams. What was it like? I heard those facilities are, were unbelievable with the Falcons. Yeah, they were great to the team. And I was sort of back and forth like you running around like with the, at the convention center. I mean, yeah. to, to give people an idea of a Super Bowl, it's really like press everywhere. And so you're kind of splitting your time and Atlanta's a little more spread out. So there was the convention center. The Rams practicing at the Rams Falcons uh, practice facility, which was great, and they were super taken care of and all that. Um, but yeah, and then pressers were very early in the morning, so if you were down on Radio Row or anything like that, it was an, almost impossible to, to get back, go yeah. back and forth. So yeah, I had even split my time like pretty. It was a rigorous. I was working on features on Sean McVay. I actually went back to his high school. His oh, high school was like ten yeah. miles away from yeah, a lot of family out there. Oh yeah, tons. His the the head of security for. The Super Bowl, like, so our, our head of security is Dave Love. Shout out to Dave Love. He's awesome. But uh, for the Rams, but then he hired, obviously, local Atlanta police to help with all of the security that's involved in Super Bowl coverage and um, was actually uh, Coach uh, Coach Cop is the um, was his coach in, in football. And, and he was the person in charge of watching over Sean McVay oh. at the Super Bowl. Like, what an insane. And so I got to talk to him. I got to talk to a bunch of his old high school coaches, some of his teammates, his father was out there. And it was really incredible to experience. But yeah, the splitting of press and covering practice and all of that was a, it was insane. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and then, I mean, and then everyone's like, oh, the parties. I didn't go to any parties, I, I but I mean, I had, I was stoked to go to dinner you know, <laughs> yeah. at the hotel. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, now, uh, you know, you, this team was really special and you, you spoke on, on Sean McVay, on Coach McVay. Um, I also want to say on the opposite side, you've got the defensive coordinator in Wade Phillips, who love is, <laughs> I love Wade. I remember when he was at the Chargers um, and obviously another person of lineage with football lineage um, yeah. or genetics, you know, both. Um, what was the contrast um, and how were you welcomed by Wade? <laughs> Wade finally followed me on Twitter, guys. So I'm official. Oh, that's cool. Well, that's really cool. <laughs> that's he is funny I mean. on Twitter. He's hilarious on Twitter. Um, Wade, as soon as I got to the practice facilities, I was sort of like, oh, crap. That is Wade Phillips. I have uh, I actually downloaded. I, we drive a lot in L.A. I downloaded his book on audio. And oh. so it's he's a really good book out. Um, I listened to last year. And so I had already like done my homework on this guy, but man, he is like the man, the myth and the legend. And I actually said this to him in an interview. I was like, I am here with the man, the myth and the legend. He goes more of the myth. And I was like, Oh wait, he just, he's got these <laughs> oh, little self-deprecating too. Oh, for sure. And, um, but it's cool now because our new tight ends coach is Wes Phillips, his son. Oh. And so it's been pretty exciting to now I've got like both of them and Wes kind of knows his father's sort of, you know, one liners, like the way that my dad throws these jokes and everyone's like, Serena, your dad's so funny. I'm like, no, no, no. This is all just a scheme. And that's kind of, I can see it already, but Wade has been great. Um, you know, he actually prefers to be like, most people are like, oh, hey coach, how are you doing? He prefers, prefers Wade because it's like, you know my name. And so it's funny because he's the way that I have said, what's up Wade? Like now I, I go out of my way to do that with every coach. Cause I'm like, I want you to know that I know you as much as you know me. And this is a part of a family. You're more than a coach. And so that was something that was interesting, especially for a guy who's been in the league for so long and everyone kind of calls him coach, a guy, everybody, right. calls him coach. And so, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful person to be around. Very smart. Um, he's serious, but, uh, you obviously can see that he's got this, uh, childlike interior that's within him. And what you see is exactly what you get. And it's, it's pretty cool to be around, yeah, the polar opposite person of Sean McVay, but in many ways it's sort of this comforting feeling knowing like they're taking care of each other. Yeah, no, it seems like a really special dynamic. And, you know, and I have to say also that I uh, I read uh, Bill Walsh's The Score Takes Care of Itself two, three seasons ago. And I was kind of thought San Francisco 49ers were going to do good. It was like, and they were, they did, they were in a rebuild mode. But then to hear the history and also know the history that that is actually his, was his uh, grandfather, yeah, uh, yeah, who was the GM with Bill Walsh. Um, I don't and those. And have you read that book? No, I haven't. That's fantastic. Okay. It, and okay. if anyone else listening, you don't have to be a 49ers fan at all or football savvy. There's a lot of football an analogies, which is fantastic. But it's super inspiring. Yeah. No. You know? that, I mean, it's it's insane because you know we joke with Wade like. 
oh, this is another revenge game because like every game is a revenge because he's coached in every possible team or with every single coach in the league because he's been around for so long. It's it's pretty crazy that I, you know, in my time, you know, you kind of go through the list of things that you've attended. You know, I went to uh, the NBA finals where the Warriors beat the Cavs in game five. I was there. And, you know, you think about certain things that you've reached in your career and this people that you meet and you speak to. But I mean, one, Wade Phillips following me on Twitter, big deal. But two, just being around him and being around Sean and, and, and especially, you know, I'm getting Wade later on in his career and I'm getting Sean at the very beginning of his career. Well, in, as a head coach, he's been around the game for forever. But, you know, to catch him at this time and just kind of be able to un- see that uh, up close, the progression that he'll make, you know, long term is is a really special. I mean, I you, know, you pinch yourself as a sports person just like, what you're getting to experience. Yes, uh, it, totally. I, I just, when he was with the Chargers, it was with Sean Phillips and Sean Merriman. Mm-hmm. And that defense was phenomenal. And actually, I believe Eric Weddle showed up, and now Eric Weddle is oh, with yeah. the Rams, yep. uh, along with former Trojan Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews. Um, and then you had a, a, another interview you had to do, I know, with Blake Bortles. But, I, let's, uh, but Clay Matthews and Eric Weddle presence you've interviewed both of them you've interviewed all three of these guys yeah yeah what was it like for you I mean welcoming these guys essentially kind of being a welcoming person as well (laughs) yeah and you know it's funny you say their names all in lineage and they're completely different guys and it and I can see all of them fitting in perfectly with this locker room and I think that's also it's everyone is welcome and everyone is completely different, right? Like we just said, Wade Phillips and Sean McVay are completely different, but they sort of, you know, balance each other out. And I think that goes to show like, I mean, I'll give you like the DBs have a special place in my heart. They're so loud and they're so outspoken and they're so, you spoke to John Kelly, who's on the other side, but, but, and, and I'm almost like, JK, you literally balance out the noise that goes on in the DB side of the locker room because they're just so charismatic. And I don't. I was like, is there something about this position that y'all just kind of start to act this way? Is this like, what happens? You know, from John Johnson and Aqib Talib and Marcus Peters, Nikel Roby, who's more of a quiet kind of guy, is also like jumping around and you'll see him on the, on the field. Like, like he'll chirp at me all the time. Oh, Serena, you, you finally showed up to the DB side of practice. I'm like, okay, all right, okay, y'all. Just <laughs> I got to see you. I, I, I'm coming. Mama is on her way. So they notice when you're not there, they'll like all joke with you. So Eric Weddle being very charismatic as well, you know, and when I interviewed him, you know, we've known him for so long with the Ravens and that crazy beard of his dude chops it off last year. And so I called him out. I was like, yo, what happened to your beard? Your your, your Twitter handle is Weddle's beard. And here you stand before us. Beardless. Beard, beardless. <laughs> and he's just like, oh man, he actually said that his daughter had never seen him without a beard before. So it was kind of crazy. I'm like, wow, your identity is completely changed from for your child. Like that's insane. He goes, yeah, you know, the wife loves it. No beard kind of thing. I can see my face again. But, it, but it, we, he joked like, this is a five o'clock shadow for me. Like this thing could grow back in two seconds. I was like, All right, well, you know, the LA heat might make you not want to have the beard. Like, you know, Baltimore gets cold in the wintertime. This might be a better situation for you, just saying. So uh, Eric is so, you know, he works in that DB group. Clay Matthews being more of a, a quiet sort of, you know, laid back kind of guy, I think will work with more of the edge rush D line, like those kinds of guy linebackers group, you know, guys like Samson Abacombe, uh, and Corey Littleton, they've got the personality, but they kind of keep to themselves. They're sort of like, okay, I'm watching, I'm observing, and then I play and I, I do my thing. And of course, obviously, he's super happy to be back. I mean, he grew up in Agora Hills, which yeah. is like where the Rams head offices are, and then they practice in Thousand Oaks. So this is like, you know, coming closer to the end of his career, like here you are and have a guy like that who's going to obviously have some great influence on some of our younger guys. He's going to be a great locker room guy too. And especially because Aaron Donald is kind of a balance of both he's quiet but also will joke around and I can see a lot of that in Clay Matthews and then Blake Bortles is a really good friend of of Jared Goff they're the same agent um they they've practiced together they talk they're friends and they're sort of um that bro bro like hey man like we're chilling and and I and they have a lot of personality but also I think this is a perfect opportunity for Blake knowing the position that he's in and in a very important position right like thankfully Jared has been very healthy all season long. Injuries in sports, they happen. They happen all the time. And so I think for Blake, this is a great and important opportunity. And I'm sure Sean and all those guys have talked about this. But, you know, you are on a Super Bowl 
contending team, we need a really good guy like you to be our backup. So like everything that you do, like with the QB group and watching film and all that is going to influence Jared. And so like, he's more than just the backup, like this guy making it to, you know, his own championship game uh, has been a very, I think this is going to be huge for, and the fact that they're friends and, you know, Blake knows his role being the backup to Jared, but Jared is still a young quarterback that's learning a lot. I mean, Man, I'm excited to see, you know, all the things that work out there. And again, those guys get along really well. And so, yeah, the three of them, super excited to really get to see them all season long, really get to know them more. But I can already see the pieces kind of landing in place. And, you know, a big part of that is like personality, you know, like what works and what doesn't work and guys just kind of work together. And I think the key is like they really hire nice, good people, really good people. No, that's and, and Clay Matthews also played it at the Coliseum. Oh, also, man. How I mean, cool you know, is that? I mean, because yeah. you've got Nikel Roby, Nikel Roby, Justin Robert Davis, Woods, yep. Robert Woods, and and, and um, now Clay and, and Clay. It's, it's awesome. So, it's a special a moment for those guys. Yeah, no, I was like, I know you, you, you know your history well, and yeah, it's pretty cool to be at the Coliseum, and that the Coliseum is now going to be complete. We will not be in an active construction zone this year while we await, you know, the nice LASED uh, in twenty twenty. So. Yeah, no, it's going to be amazing. I know the new facility is going to be amazing. I missed uh, Monday. They had a, I could have gone and I, I couldn't with my schedule yeah. or Tuesday, I believe I was broadcasting. Um, now, a history, you're a Syracuse orange. Oh yeah, baby. Oh. I, I was a running back because of Charles White, Marcus Allen and Ricky Bell from USC. Um, I know Syracuse has, I mean, I think of Ernie Davis, the first uh, first ever African-American to receive the, the Heisman Trophy, Jim Brown. I know personally Stephen Gregory. He was there, I think, prior to when you went to school there. Um, what is it? Were there any sort of like, a, was there any player, like you played baseball. Yeah, yeah. I played football, but... <laughs> and if people saw us, they'd be like, really? Y'all are like 10 pounds wet, right? <laughs> no. I'll eat soon. We'll be fine. Um, you know, what's wild about Syracuse um, in twofolds, like I never, probably this for you, there was never growing up, my, my father wanted sons. He had two daughters instead. So the second daughter, me, was courted like, hey, you want to you play baseball? Like, I'll try this one more time. And if not, I give up. I was like, yeah, I want to play baseball. And then I got really good. Like, there was never, I mean, if you throw a person, any human being, man or woman or whatever, you throw them sports, they're going to figure it out. It doesn't matter. Like there are certain genetics, obviously, but I mean, the way you take care of a, a, a little girl and the way you speak to a little girl will have psyche effects the way that you would handle a little boy. And we're like, oh, it's okay. You can cry. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Or like, you're a little more gentle. And my dad and my mom just very like my, my dad's Puerto Rican, my mom's Colombian, these sort of uh, matriarchal uh, backgrounds, like where you respect the mom, you you like, it's like, nah, mama runs the show. She's the one at home, you know, running things, dad's out working. But my mom was very like, I got to work. I'm a teacher too. So just not even having these conventional stereotypical uh, means of raising your children in the Bronx, they were like, you better freaking play. Like you better be the best. And I was like, okay, I'll be the best. And so I really picked it up, but I never had, unfortunately, outside of league of their own and Gina Davis. And I was like, Gina Davis doesn't even play baseball. But I was like, oh, Gina Davis is my idol. And Tom Hanks is my idol because he was a coach that coached women's baseball. I didn't have anyone to look up to because I was like, there's no women that play this thing. Like, I don't understand. And so it was a weird thing for me to feel like I always tell people now, like find your idol, follow them on social media, understand what they do and, you know, reach out if you can, because you never know, they might reach out and, and take you under their wing and help you. And I never had a human like that. So I was sort of like, well, I see a few women in sports doing broadcasts and they're around the game. And again, that was very new, but the select women that were in it, you know, Susan Wallman covering Yankee games mm -hmm. and calling the games and um, seeing Linda Cohn and, and Hannah Storm. But it was like, I didn't have anyone to watch baseball like that was a female baseball player. So my idols were a lot of men. And so it was a weird time to grow up and be like, oh, I, I need to be like that man because that's the guy that I would like to emulate. I want to play baseball. So Bernie Williams was my idol. And, and you know, Joe, to uh, Joe Torrey, um, Don Mattingly <laughs> was my idol. Joe Torrey's my idol too. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, the like the, the guys that played the game, I was like, oh, the, I'm going to be those guys. So you start to dress like them and you start to, and this is where this whole idea of 
like being a tomboy kind of, you know, manifests itself because the whole time you're like, but I, I want to do that job. So I should do everything I can to be that person. And so getting to Syracuse, you know, I, I played baseball until I was 18. I, um, the, the one time I was 16 years old, you know, you get into the, the bigger leagues. Um, and I know this was a question about Syracuse and I'll get there, but there was a, there was a time I tried out for a baseball team. It was 16 years old. And, uh, I went to I went to go I was at bat and everyone at the, on the field on the other team sat down on the field and they protested they were like you're not playing this game and they protested they were like we're not going to pitch you the ball we're not going to play the field you can hit a home run we wouldn't give a damn like you are not playing in this league and they protested me playing wow. in the league and I was like this is real like this is 2000s like I didn't realize this is like a real thing they sat down on the field I was so embarrassed my dad was at the game that day oddly enough cuz it was like the first game I was going to play in like this league where they're pitching 80 like they're there this is right before you get picked up to go play college baseball and uh I was just kind of like in shock and I was, the whole my whole life I had been sort of sheltered behind my parents who were sort of like do you if you're good you keep playing we'll help support you um, you know, I was around kids in the Bronx who also just knew me as she's the chick that plays baseball, let her play, you know, whatever. And so to, to be treated this way, was sort of like a culture shock in a lot of ways. And so I, I played another season in that league just cause I have too much pride, which is an, a great thing and a bad thing too. And, um, and finally they were like, you really should, you know, focus on softball more. And I was playing on the softball team, but I also wanted to play the baseball. Softball is the girls. I mean, you know, I mean, it's still, you know, and it's amazing what the girls are doing. Oh, I mean, yeah. Soft, and, I mean not, not to knock softball, but I not mean. at all. And, and, but you know, I think there is this, like, I would, if I had played softball my whole life, if my dad had put me in softball my whole life, I would have loved softball. And I didn't, I, I played baseball my whole life and I love softball. My, bless my coaches. Cause I'm like, my swing was off when I started playing softball because it's a different swing. It's just, all of it, you know, like they called me special K because I struck out all the time when I started playing softball from baseball. I was just like, well, what's happening? I thought this was easy and the games are different. And, you know, I really do. I, I loved baseball is what I knew. Um, I watched the Yankees all the time. Every night it was sort of like, that's what I do when I get home. And so, yeah, I, I didn't really have this relationship with softball the same way. Nonetheless, you know, a lot of the coaches are like, you're very good. You should really go and put your effort somewhere else. And so that's where you see like these, these things sort of trickle out and why we don't see a lot of women in those stages. But thankfully you did have the Susan Waldman's and the Linda Cones and those women to like set to certain, you know, standards nationally to, you know, give me hope, like maybe I should go into journalism. And so I get to Syracuse. I'm a kid from the Bronx. My accent's more like this than the way that you would hear me on, uh, on Rams, on the Rams.com. Uh -huh. And at that time, you know, I was sort of like, what's happening now? Like I, I can't play baseball cause I'm a woman and now I'm here and I can't get, you know, I'm, I don't, I didn't fit in at Newhouse, you know, Newhouse, the school of journalism, mm -hmm. one of the top journalism schools. I just knew I should go there because they had just won the national championship in 2003. Carmelo Anthony and that squad, Jerry McNamara won the national championship in uh, basketball. And so I was like, I feel like I should go there, Pa. And he was like, yeah, apply, whatever. Not realizing it was a private school, like all this stuff. And my, my dad's like, you want to go so far away? You want to leave the city? I guess you're still in New York, da, da, da. It was a very weird thing for a Bronx chick to like, again, most kids, you it's a normal, like you go to college. Like my mom could have put me in CUNY, like when you're in college, it's just, and I'm like, it's not the same. Like you got to go to the best school. I didn't learn that until I was there. So it was another culture shock for me. Like I can't play baseball. And now I'm not fitting in with the rest of the journalism kids who have planned their whole lives to basically be, you know, the next Aaron Andrews or the next Mike Tirico or Bob Costas, right? Like I was sort of like, I don't know, I like Susan Wallman. Like I didn't even understand the concept of this world that now I'm in. And so, you know, I just, my professor was like, you don't have college level writing. You know, they would, I, I was terrible at the beginning. I had an accent. They, they were giving me voice lessons. I couldn't speak correctly at all. It was just awful. Uh, so it was, it was terrible. So like for me, yes, going back to, you know, players or things that influenced me, I, I really turned to the basketball team more than anything else. I ended up tutoring the, the, the athletes there, Jamil McLean, one of my favorite guys on the football team actually uh, played for the Ravens, played for the Giants for a little bit. Um, and now is, um, I forget the exact title, but he is like one of the guys for the Ravens, the top guy for the Ravens who works with community service and helping the players oh, get involved wonderful. in the community. I went to Syracuse. I tutored him. He's one of my closest friends. And 
you know, just, you know, Johnny Flynn. I tutored Johnny Flynn. I, I tutored a lot of those guys where I just wanted to give back because I was sort of like, look, this is this world is very overwhelming and you guys are also coddled in this world of you're the athlete, but I promise you, God forbid anything happens, injury, anything, whatever, you're going to have to do what I've been experiencing now as a college kid and it's very overwhelming. I'd rather you just know that you could handle yourself a little bit because I helped you you know, learn how to learn. Cause like a lot of people don't learn how to learn. I learned how to learn at Syracuse. And so I didn't, I didn't know necessarily how to figure things out quickly. Right. Like once you figure out your cheats, you know, it's work smart. Like that was all like, there you go, jump in the ocean kid and learn how to swim. I was like, yeah. So it was a, it was a huge culture shock for me. I didn't I was the only minority in my classes, like the only woman, like there were three women and I was the one from the Bronx sounding like, you know, a mix of Sofia Vergara and like J-Lo. It was just so bad. <laughs> so yeah, I got through that. But yeah, I mean, it, I've always come back to sports somehow, even though it took me a while to get even in sports after even knowing like everything I know about baseball and, and the game itself. It took me forever. I graduated in 2008, market crashes. That wasn't like a- It was a, a horrible year. It was an awful year. I got really depressed that year. It was awful. You know, my mom was like, what's going on? You're not yourself. I'm like, I just went to this freaking school. I go through so much, you know, culture shock. I come back and then it's like, you're promised if you graduate from Syracuse University and Newhouse, the best school in the country for what you do, you'll get the job. Like, you know, that was, it was, you know, right on the edge of, we apply for jobs on the internet, but we could still call, like I would say three years before you could call on a newspaper and look for a job. It was right on that tether of where we are. I edited with VHS tape. So like I was probably, I was the last class to do that, mm -hmm. but I was on this weird edge of like where things were changing and it's, it was, it was awful. Like I couldn't get a job. I'm like, I thought I was promised this. The last class what graduated got everything and somehow I don't have a job. I was waitressing. I ended up moving to London for a year because I had no life in America. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Well, no, but I love what you said about your parents because my parents instilled the same thing with us. My mom always said, why be a nurse when you can be a doctor? Like, so that barrier never was there for me. So I never felt limited, um, you know, and I, and learning, I, I jumped in, I got an internship after much later, after taking a radio broadcasting class at a local college, jumped in, got an internship at a, at a, a TV station in sports, didn't know editing, didn't know anything about, you know, I could write, I used to shoot for all the magazines, ESPN, all the skate magazines, I shot photos and ad campaigns for, but I shifted and wrote, but I shifted and there's such a difference between radio, TV, and like and and like magazines or blogs. So different. It's a complete different, you know. Um, and so, but I, I mean, I said the serenity prayer a lot of times in the edit bay. And you wouldn't know because I was like, those guys don't even know what the hell they're talking about. They're not even athletes. So, you know, I was like, you know, like oh. who do they think they are? Like oh, they don't yeah. even know. Like you know? no. And and I, I would. And I'm grateful for what I learned. Right, you know, <laughs> but, but, but it is this. Uh, it's well, one, all the mediums are very different. And two, you know, there were a lot of times where I would get mad at some of the athletes where they're like, I could do your job because I already know the game. I'm like, that doesn't mean that you can do the job. You you know, you have to be articulate. You've got to be a good storyteller. There are things that are part of the job that maybe you could do a good job. Like I give Ryan Clark, who ex pro bowler, like, I mean, he's been everything and now he's rocking ESPN. I mean, he's with the Steelers forever. He actually uh, played his last season with the Redskins, and that's when Sean McVay became the offensive coordinator okay. there. So they cross paths, and you'll see Ryan Clark on ESPN all the time, being like, "The Rams are the best team." Da da da. They're sort of he's sort of the cheerleader for the Rams. I would give him that uh, accolade, but he's like, uh, he's great. But I'm sometimes like, dude, you got so good at your job being an NFL like analyst. People are gonna forget that you played football, but that's a very—I mean—he's an outlier in those regards. Like it doesn't—he and he's done a lot of homework and he does a lot of work to do that. And there is a lot of work and mm -hmm. a lot of prep behind. You know, people think, oh, you can just, oh, God, how do they have that job? Like that's not like cool. Like get your homework done, kiddo. Yeah, no, and it, when the funny thing is too, and I, because I never think of, I never feel slighted because of being a woman. And I just—I've always—I skated with all the guys. I've, I've always done. I've always been one of the guys Yeah. to the point where I forgot, you know, they'd be like, oh, the ramp smells good because Desiree has perfume on, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I came from my mom was Olympic diver or train came to the United States sponsored by Gillette Razors to train with Sammy Lee. Um, my dad played minor leagues for the Red Sox, the White Sox and the Yankees. 
So we had, you know, my sisters, we can all throw, I can still throw 40, 30, 40 yards with a football. Um, this is what you know. It's everything it's just, you know. Yeah, we never had limitations. And until, I feel like some people Until the think, rest of the world tells you, nah, yo, you can't do that. But then you just keep going. Sure. But then you just keep going because you've already been instilled that, that go. But there is that psyche at one point where people are like, and I'm like, what? Why, why are you questioning me? I've been fine my whole life. And now you're making it complicated for me. Like I never, yeah. I mean, it does hit you at some point. In fact, and you know, like it can go either way for me. You know, I actually have done more uh, or now I try to dress more feminine because I'm like, nah, I want you to realize that I can be super feminine, but I still am the person at core and I don't need to prove to you anything. But that's because I'm more comfortable with myself, but I, I, there were times where I was very comfortable. Like, who doesn't want to wear sweatpants and a big T-shirt every day? Like, that is so comfortable. And if you could dress like that, I would. I would be fine. But it's also like, no, I want to show that if I wanted to be feminine, I could be feminine without anyone being like, you dressed up today. What happened? So I actually go over, which is still not over for many people. But to me, I'm like, wow, I'm wearing makeup today, and I did my hair, and I have heels on. It's very interesting, to, but I try and set that standard of like, this is normal. You see the guys all flashy all the time and no one questions them and they're athletes and they know sports. So why cannot the woman do the same thing? Yeah. And I've actually done it overly to to make sure that I set certain, I take barriers down. I take stereotypes away. Uh, that's cool. It is because it is, there is power, I think, in being, um, there's just power in being a woman. I mean, not, you know, in sports, not, and I and I'm not talking about, dressing clad or um, respect and grace and class, like really shine. And there there are many out in the field, both male and female, that are showing that. And that's what I want, you know, and like, so I, it's cool. I, you, you got a great scarf collection too. <laughs> I know my, my interview, Sorry. it's cold out there. <laughs> that was so good. Okay, so if you haven't, okay, well, first of all, if you're not following uh, Serena, you can follow her at Morales Morales. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a great follow because definitely you want to follow her stories. That's where I really <laughs> was like, wow, this girl is awesome. Like, I want to meet this girl. She is funny. Um, no, just a f- fantastic Thank sense you. of humor. Oh. You know, so gregarious. Um, My now, scarf collection. Your yeah, scarf collection. But she's interviewing <laughs> She's interviewing somebody. And she actually, the caption is... Um, an interview, uh, Roger Saffold interviewed by a scarf. By a scarf I, yeah. I wear so many scarves and I'm sort of like, I don't know, From a new, as a New Yorker, I don't want to wear jackets all the time. It's probably weird to do interviews. So I'll just wear a scarf. But my scarves are massive because I'm wrapping them around like a blanket because I get cold. There's It's windy out there. So the, that makes me freezing. And the guys are like, seriously wearing like a scarf now? I'm like, you would see me with a winter jacket if I could. So yeah, my scarf collection is often noted in interviews. <laughs> No, the caption was just was fantastic. Now, I um, I did speak to JK. I got a I got a little <laughs> couple of words from JK for oh, you. Oh goodness gracious! Um, <laughs> so let's see. Here He's we go. He's a peanut butter and jelly guy. He is, and I was able to share with him <laughs> when he was in studio. Um, and he said Serena is a big ass ball of energy. <laughs> She yeah. is live. Yeah, mm. yep, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough too because you know a lot of the guys think I'm in my 20s, which I will take. I'm so happy, but I just am like, guys, what in the world? He makes fun of because he's a bait. I mean, he's 22 years old, I believe. He's 21. He's one of the youngest guys on the team, and so I keep up with him. I'm like, yo, don't be doing this. You're crazy or whatever. And and it's been really great to again someone like him who was experiencing the NFL for the first time in his career. I'm really excited to see him go in year two again behind guys like Malcolm Brown and Todd Gurley and the wide receivers really take care of him like Robert Woods is such a wonderful person that he he sits across from Robert Woods and I can see there's a a nice mentorship where you probably notice this John Kelly has an old soul like that dude listens to like Aretha Franklin and and Donna Summer as much as he listens to you know whoever's out there now right like there is this um like Migos like he is legit in the like you could see him wearing like bell-bottom pants he probably owns a pair you know and and I really love that specifically about John Kelly because he is a ball of energy as well and to keep up with him has been great because I'm really this is the first time where you know, you do sense, oh, like, like they'll be like, Serena, you're the plug. Like, you're part of the fam. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. I'm around all the time, huh? But 
he's he's a really special dude because he's got that old soul, that old like nah man. Like he could go to a roller skate rink, and he wa- I think he wanted to for his birthday this past year was have a party at a roller skating rink. And I was like, that is the cool, like, who does that? And he's just like, he, you could see him, like, back in the 70s. Like, that's his era. Yeah. No, he is special. He's in the wrong era. <laughs> he's super, well, he's just, I think he's got this, he's an old soul, mm-hmm. you know, but he's got this, such a graceful humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and love for life and and graciousness and gratitude for what he has. Yeah. You know, um, it. He's in very down earth. He's really special. He he was really such he was such a treat. You would never know half of these guys really play in the NFL. You would never know that they're like in the one percent of people who get selected to be there. Exactly. Thank you. The one percent people are like, oh well, you know, I could make or those. And I was like, do you know how difficult it is to make it so hard to play collegiately? First of all, sure. Then then you narrow it down to play for one of thirty two teams. Oh yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I mean, it's... I give Aaron Donald all, like, the praise because that guy's humility is one... It's it's almost... I've never seen it. It's unprecedented. He is one of the highest-paid players in the NFL. He uh, just donated a ton of money to Pittsburgh, where he, his alum, mm-hmm. uh, his school, and, uh, and he works out there every summer and works his butt off. And... He donated, and they want to name the building after him. And he's like, "You want to, na- you want to put my name on that thing?" And I'm like, "You're Aaron Donald. You literally have had <laughs> the most successful story so far, as far as uh, players that have hit certain achievements. You know, the way that he carries himself is so, so. I mean, I wish that would be replicated, but he it makes him who he is. And it's really cool to be around him and experience the game through him because he's never too big for an interview. He's never too big to say hello. He's always looking at his kids. You know, he drives the nice cars and stuff because he can, but it doesn't mean that, like, he doesn't... He, he's very uh, aware of what I didn't have. And that's, like, really... Re- and again, this is Aaron Donald. Now, John Kelly has the same you know, personality as far as like being humble. And I think a lot of those guys, you would never be able to tell that they are, but man, I mean, there's something really special about Aaron Donald. I've never ever seen him out of character or out of anything. And I can't imagine how tough that is to be on a consistent basis, you know, to be, you know, out in public and be noticed all the time and to carry them yourself the way that you do. And he does it. That's, that's awesome. I'd like to come, you know, and you mentioned as well, and I keep saying that you mentioned as well. Like that's been my theme tonight, today, tonight, whatever it is. There is something very special with the Rams inside that locker room. I got to witness that with the Chargers this last season and watching and covering the team for 11 years. But there was something very special about the players, you know, and many, and I obviously I look technical. I look at technical stuff as well. But like when you're like this last season, I would have guys move things to make room for me to sit down on the bench next to them, which I don't expect. And it's never happened. I mean, there's, you know, guys have, you know, welcomed me, you know, but, but not like that. And, and to see the change in some more, not prima donna, but more sort of um, me players to shift in that locker room. um, There's, a real, it's a really special thing to be able to be inside of, to see firsthand. Yeah. And, and for, a, a and lot of similarities. Some of that. To, to notice, I mean, as, as reporters too, or people in media, you know, you go into situations and half of your reporting is not asking the question. It's like taking in certain, you know, things like, what is that person doing right now? Are they keeping their head down while all the reporters are around talking to their teammate? Are they aware? Are they joking around? Are they comfortable? Like, there's a lot of things like that. So for yes, like for, you kind of know when locker rooms are kind of standing together because they do things like that. And sometimes it's the action more than the words that they say. Yeah, I mean, in hugs, obviously, sure, from players sure. you know for quite a while. But I mean, in, uh, no, it's just, just this, it's really cool. And I had a really weird experience last year happen. Um, Brandon McBain came back in and he had been in Omaha for his daughter. Um, and she had a heart problem. And so, Anyways, the family was back there, so he missed about six weeks during the last part of the season. And I had sent a card, you know, just to send love and hugs to them and his, him and his family. And 
he came back and I, I just kind of said, you know, I've been praying for you. And, you know, I just, you know, that was it. And a few moments later, you know, this is around playoffs, which, you know, like the locker rooms, it's like from 20 people or from 10 people yeah. regularly to 25 yep. to 35 to 50. Yep. And the next thing I know is his daughter had passed away. And I, then I was, then I kind of, did I, should I have asked? Should I, I didn't ask specifically. I just let him know that I was praying. I didn't want to bother him. I wanted to honor his privacy and just let him know that I was praying for him and his family. But then I thought afterwards, should I have asked? You know, I mean, I, you know, when, when this comes out much later um, or 10 minutes later, you know, it was, that was pretty, that was one of the heaviest things I think, you know, and I've thought it over in my head and regurgitated and thought, no, he knows. Yeah. He knows I was just, he knows I was honoring because that's the other part is that you get to know some of these guys and you are a reporter, but I'm not there for, I'm, I'm not there to tear down stuff. I'm not there for me. I'm not there to look at, um, at and try to reveal something. I'm there to see the good stuff. Like, I, I mean, I, there's so much good and also, and even growing through adversity, there are good points, you know? Sure. And I think it's, a, I mean, Let's be real. It's really hard to be a player in the NFL or in the NBA or in the MLB. It's really difficult to do those jobs because there's so much. You know, a lot of the guys always say it's more of a business, Serena, than you realize. Like they come in and they're like, okay, now I'm going to be a professional athlete and my job will be to work out. Your job is like one, a quarter to work out, a quarter to, you know, watch film and understand that. So like half of it's the game and the other half is business. Going out and being part of the community, going every out and Tuesday. oh, every Tuesday and more and yeah, or or more, yeah, and going out and again being representation of this team and and going out and doing other like half of it is business. Also preparing yourself because the NFL uh, life expectancy for career wise is you know three, three years. years, so you got to prepare like okay, how am I going to manage my money to last me a little longer? Where am I going to invest? Like literally half of that time is spent talking to your accountant and your financial advisor and the other half is football, but it is really more of a business than anything else. And I think that's where, again, someone like you and I would, would, would probably go more of like, you know, the exit, like the game plan is always going to be covered. That it is, you know, the, the Monday through Sunday grind of covering the NFL. But then there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I don't think we, realizes fans of the game happen all behind, you know, closed doors, which sometimes is more fascinating and sometimes might trigger a certain response in an interview that you wouldn't expect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always think about, you know, I th my mom um, is a, was a high school Spanish, English is a second language oh. teacher. Yes, yeah, she was a teacher. My dad worked for the projects. And, you know, she used to help her students learn in classes who didn't speak any English by taking improv classes. She would give us improv classes. So I've taken improv since I was a kid. And I think there's some unconventional means to doing that and then taking uh, and studying journalism, right, at Syracuse. And so for me, I've actually always noted that because of my improv background and because I ended up going to Syracuse and having this interesting culmination of skills I find that the act of journalism and the act of interviewing someone as like the like a math problem and and yet I'm very I'm terrible at math but it's almost math is always what I love about journalism math is always one plus one equals two it will never change that is the standard like you can't change that at all but if you does ask uh, John Kelly a question and I ask the exact same question to John Kelly one plus one does not equal two the question that you ask what did you do today he will give maybe a completely different answer that he gives you than he gave me why because circumstances have changed or certain things or who knows what John Kelly was feeling that one second and I asked him you know 20 minutes later and someone threw something at his head and he reacted a completely different what did you do today I'm like well Robert Wood just threw something at my head and so that I, so I get a completely different answer so the magic of our jobs is sometimes like how can I get one plus one equals a thousand because the thousand like even if I ask the, the question I might get the thousand I might get a thousand dollars out of that kid because I, I even though I asked the same question and that's where I find you know our jobs to be so freaking fascinating because one plus one does not equal two when it comes to how we do the job and it, that that is the most exciting part of anything I could ever do in my life. And when did you realize that? Because I know for me, it took me a while to realize that my 
questions in my knowledge, you know, I, you know, I would second guess. You know, it took me a while to realize, like, you would not be there if you didn't know. Like, you know the game. You know what's going on. You follow it. You do your study. You know, you do your prep as well. But you also know. Um, when did you sort of realize that you, yeah, I know what I'm, I, I you know, not, not this arrogance, but like this yeah. confidence. You know, I would say the first time I ever realized, I was like, I think I should be doing something with my my voice was in fourth grade. And then again, it was confirmed at Syracuse, even though I was, I was so down on myself. I was like, I think I'm supposed to be here anyway. I know I don't fit in, but I'm pretty sure I am supposed to be doing this job. Fourth grade, I switched schools. My my parents moved around all over the Bronx. They switched schools because the neighborhood I was in was really bad. And so we moved a little bit north um, and uh, North Bronx. And uh, my, my mom, I remember I was just like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to change schools. And there was a speech contest that we had to do for fifth grade. And I was still sort of new. I was quiet. I went from being like the top of the class. Like I remember kids crying and being like, I'm never going to see you again. My mom was like, you're so weird. Like kids shouldn't care at third grade, like about your friends this much. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know why she wants to be my friend. And then I get to the point of going to this other school. And I was like, I have to do a speech contest. Like, I don't know. I don't talk out loud. Like I don't, I used to whisper to my sister. If someone talked to me, I'd be like, you want like to be like a Serena hungry and I'd be like and she'd be like she wants pizza and I'm like what how could you be the shy like what in the world like I used to be the shyest person in the universe so I go and I have to do this speech contest and I ended up writing about the Yankees it was the most memorable event of your life and I had uh the Yankees winning the 96 World Series as the most memorable event of my life all the things I lost my tooth I get money from the tooth fairy Santa Claus all that and the most memorable event of my life was the Yankees winning the 96 World Series and I was like I had in detail everything that happened in Mariano Duncan and Rivera and every every single thing to the last play of the game catching the ball and like Charlie Hayes like oh my god it was amazing I write all this and I give this speech and I win the I won second place in the speech contest and I was like this little kid didn't know anything and everyone's like who the hell is that chick where's she coming from so I get there and that's when I was like maybe I'm supposed to be doing this I was shy this whole time and all of a sudden I just gave a speech and this was great and it was in front of like 300 kids and I was like okay get to college and I'm like I don't fit in here at all but I swear that like there's someone necessary to be able to do whatever the hell I think I should be able to do. And again, it doesn't get to a point later on in your career where you're like, I think I should be appreciated. The one thing I'll say too is, as a Latina from the Bronx, like I speak Spanglish, I'm loud, obnoxious, all those things combined. I will say that, like, bless people who are like, well, why? They will always ask, why don't you go into Univision? Why don't you do Telemundo? Why don't you do all these other things? I'm like, nah, yo, I'm from the Bronx and I speak Spanish. And it's terrible Spanish, but like, yeah, I could probably go into those things. But I'm like, no, I want to run with the main dogs. I want to be, I want to be with the Rams. I want to be top dog. Like I grew up watching the Yankees. They've always won to me. They didn't set their sights on like, eh, if we make it to the postseason, it'll be okay if we lose the first round. No, it's always like championship or bust. And my life has literally been replicated of like, oh, I watched the Yankees win. Then I need to apply this. Like I need to be top dog. I need to be national, whatever. Or like bus, like I, I failed myself. So it's pretty crazy. So I would say fifth grade speech contest <laughs> and, and, uh, and Syracuse where I didn't fit in at all. And yet I was kind of like, I should, you know, add enough support from my family to be able to say, I think you belong here. I don't know what it is yet. But, you know, I had really good mentors, Harold Tamara, who was like, I think you belong in this business. You might not feel that way. And I, again, I'd go home crying some days because I was just like, this isn't for me. My voice is weird. You know, as a kid, they called me chipmunk because my voice was so high pitched because I was so nervous and awkward that wow. I, it would get too high. And, you know, getting back to, you know, I'd be crying to my mom on the bus going back from like new house to my dorm room. And I'm like, this is not for me. I don't fit in. And people were like, just stick it out. I think you belong here. So it was other people telling me it. Now I'm like, all right, like, let's do this. But there were times where I'm like, 
I don't speak English correctly. I'm terrible at grammar. I'm awkward. I make weird noises instead of ask questions. Like I might be like, but and someone will give me an answer. And I'm like, how did that, how did that happen? How was I able to do that? So like some of that, it comes from improv where I'm like, if I do this with my hands, would you say something? Maybe there's a possibility where most reporters will be like, here's a question I'm going to ask you. It's very standard. And I'm going to go back to you. Yep. Never. And, we don't have, who said the AP so conversation are, was the way to do things? Like I'm messing up math completely. Cause I'm I love everything it. off. No, it's great. Cause that, that was like Edelman, Edelman. I interviewed Edelman at, in Super Bowl and about skateboarding because I knew he skated obviously. So I followed up with Jim Kelly mm-hmm. who he acknowledged. So I was like, he, you know, obviously everyone knows Jim Kelly. I, you know, in, um, you know, and it was about his toughness. Yeah. And prior, he, there was somebody asking this girl, sadly, you know, I mean, and it's not, but, you know, oh, on third down conversions, like, what do you think you're going to do? And I, I mean, something to the effect of something so, like, she was trying so hard, like, yeah. to make it a football question. Which is and tough she didn't, because there, sometimes we try and overcompensate to show we know it, right? Like, And she just sounds stupid. Which never gave. And he was gracious to her. And sure. the guy before that he had asked the same question. He's like, didn't you? I answered that question yesterday, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, but so it was, you know, of really trusting your gut, again, I guess is what I'm saying, is yeah. trusting your gut and uh, asking those right questions. Uh, I do, two more things. Uh, well, first, here's we've got about ten minutes. Yes, we do. Well, here's a little something for what? you. Um, so but good. there's something in there that you can you can pull out. Okay, this is um, a toothbrush. Oh no, that's not a toothbrush. <laughs> that actually goes with this. Oh my gosh. So those are bamboo. Oh my gosh. Straws. Oh baby. Yeah. And oh, a little cleaner. And a cleaner. I just shout with my cleaner. <laughs> oh my god. And this is Wave Soda and all of their drinks. It's 85% uh sparkling water, 15% juice, no added sugar. Um, and they have a polite dash of caffeine, with the exception of the apple. Oh my gosh. I so love this. And that's all I've nothing... been on is the liquid diet. So oh, this is well, yeah, well, no, I should have brought you like some cake or something I since you haven't been able to eat. This. Oh yeah. Bamboo straws. Let's go. And then there's something else in there. Um, I didn't have a chance to get your. <laughs> I didn't have a chance to go get your this your true. Is oh, did it come? Oh, it came on. Okay, there we go. <laughs> okay, so this one Busello coffee is by far the only coffee of choice. I love that universe. coffee. Yes. No. And uh, <laughs> so game day, I go all the way up. Like most, I'm not in the press box for game day at the Coliseum. I am down on the field and I do a bunch of, you know, things on the jumbotron with like fans and stuff like that. But Cafe Bustelo, I should be their spokesperson. And what happens is Cafe Bustelo is only up in the press box. So Which is all the way upstairs. It's so hard to get up there. And so I'm like, all right, I have an hour for, you know, they they take the field. So let me go up and get my Cafe Bucello now. And so I will go up and say hi to everyone in the press box, get my Cafe Bucello, and then walk all the way down. They're like, that's it? And I was like, I just want my coffee. But they have the K-Cups of Cafe Bucello now. I usually do right. the instant version where I just heat up some water and pour that sucker in, and I'm, like, happy to go. So this is my favorite coffee. So it's hilarious that you got, like, the bootleg, but it also Morales. Also crazy. So my <laughs> mom and dad are... Um, they're both Morales's. Like, it's the craziest thing. My oh, mom is a Colombian you're... Morales and my dad is a Puerto Rican Morales. Hence, my Instagram name is Morales Morales. And so, and my grandfather, Ugo, is actually also a Morales Morales. So I'm literally Morales uh, cubed or whatever. It's like I'm bad at math. Wow. So, yeah. Cube math again. You yeah. sure you're not in math? <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from math. Yeah. So I'm a Morales, 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 which is the most insane thing in the universe. And people are like, oh, Morales. And I'm like, yeah. So very, it's like being Smith Smith, like coming home from, you know, first grade and understanding a family tree and putting that sucker together and feeling like the coolest kid in the world, understanding what maiden name means and going up to my smart ass dad who's like, oh, you know, what's up, Linda? How was school? And I was like, question for you what's mom's maiden name and he's just like huh, here is a moment of my life where I get to screw around with my child and it was like ha, ha, ha. and he goes it's Morales and I'm like no, no 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 you fool I will tell you what maiden name means I'm like a six-year-old kid like nah man the name before she got married to you what was her last name and I just I'm like how do you not know what maiden name means I learned this and he goes it's Morales. And I was like, 
God, you don't know anything. And I was so frustrated. I remember walking into the bedroom, my sister sitting on the bunk beds. It was almost like she was smoking a cigarette. Like, yo, kid, come here. I'm going to talk to you about this whole thing. And I was just like, yo, Christina, I don't understand what's going on. She wasn't actually smoking a cigarette, but you get the like literal reference. Of, like, <laughs> oh, I, the wise one sitting at the corner, like ready to talk. Come here, come here, kid. And she's like under like a lamp. And she's like, yeah, Morales, Morales. It's weird. But it's like if they were Smith Smith. It's just a weird thing and you're just gonna accept it. And I was like, what? So like the next day going into class, anyone learn anything about your family tree? <laughs> Boom, my hand is right up there first thing. <laughs> Morales Morales, I love this. I am the biggest coffee drinker of yeah, all well, time. Well, I was gonna get you coffee Bustella, but I, I was like, oh, I can make this into, well, I figured you might need a little R&R. I definitely with, do. You know. <laughs> it's great. Thank you, I oh, love you're everything. Welcome. You're welcome. Morales, let's go, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I quickly jimmied it together. I took, I'm like, okay, I can, I think I can do this, this quickly. This is genius. Um, oh, my God. I so that. I love coffee as well. I, I do love coffee. We're kindred spirits. Yes, we are. Now, uh, we're going to switch. Rams, you get to do more international. Rams have five primetime games. Los Angeles has four Sunday night football games. Exciting. Amazing. I love everything. Um. One of those games for you is is going to be at Wembley. This is going to be the first team time with the team. Yes. Because they would, didn't go last year. Right. They went the year before, right? Yes. I'm so excited. I lived in London for yeah. about a year uh, in 2008, well, 2009, 2010. Um, and yeah, it was, it was great. It's really cool that we're going back. I've got friends I haven't seen in 10 years that I'm going to get back to seeing and um, it's, it'll be, it's cool that the NFL is kind of branching out there. I think also the players are like, they love traveling. Like Todd Gurley actually said an impressor the other day is, you know, he had, he had a lot of time in the off season to travel and he wanted to do that. And one of the things he loved the most was London. And so he's like, you know, I kind of prepped mentally to be back there, you know, come <laughs> game time. Right so on. it's super cool. Yeah. And it's to be a home game. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm so biased playing in the Coliseum and getting to do stuff with fans and, and getting the post game interview when we win, you know, on the field with the player, like is so special for me and getting to kind of get insights. Like one of my favorite games was the Chiefs game where well, I, I mean, was going to ask you about Monday, Monday night football game <gasps> that was supposed to be in Mexico City. It was City. A, right. The, the other and in Indiana. Denver, uh, you guys, were you in Denver as well? I was in well? Denver the whole time and we find Prepping. out while we're in Denver that the game is not going to be played and it was just an insane week and it was after the fires and after the Thousand Oak shooting and everything just happened and the best thing in the universe was coming back to a Full, sold out, I get goosebumps talking about it, Coliseum, under the lights, Monday night football, and of all the guys that show up, Samson Abacom, you know, like <laughs> our linebacker, our defense played so well, even though the score might not have shown that, but obviously Patrick Mahomes and what the offense on the Chiefs side of things has been able to do is incredible. And like the guys that he has to throw to, incredible, right? And the run game, nice. the whole nine. But for us to stick in there and for Samson to have two defensive touchdowns and he oh. is an unsung hero and a lot of people don't look at guys, like those position players, right? We look at the splashy, you know, wide uh, wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks, right? Like that's kind of where we are. And, it, and you know, an outlier would be maybe an Andrew Whitworth of some degree because mm -hmm. he's been in the game for so long. But Samson comes through and this has been my dude in the locker room like we talk all the time he makes fun of me because i love sugar fish in la and the sushi there is great and he's like it's not enough food for me serena i need more food and so like he always is like you're recommending me something is it like for rabbits or are you feeding like a human and i'm like okay guy and samson i was like that's my guy for my post-game interview and he'd never he doesn't get spoken to a lot from the media or anything like that and so I was like, you're mine, dude. And he was like, okay, cool. And so he does this interview with me and I always do a little bit of a layup because I like to get guys outside of the interview process, even in a, a setting. In a locker such room as, or after a post game. Right, yeah. like on the field, there's, you know, I don't know, 30,000 people still left in the stands watching the Jumbotron. And I'm like, Samson, you trying to give Todd Gurley a run for his money with all those touchdowns you scored today? And he, he made it, he laughed and made a joke. He was like, ah, yeah, for sure. And the last question I asked was, okay, take take me through this quickly. You go from, you know, we experienced the shootings in Thousand Oaks, the fires, and everyone has to be relocated. We go to Denver. We are mentally prepared to go play a Monday night football game in Mexico City, and lo and behold, here we are winning one of the most exciting games of the season, Monday night football under the lights with every one of these fans coming to cheer you on, and you get the win. 
What does that mean? And this man, I tell you, like, I'm gave getting the best. Yeah, gave the best answer. It was beautiful. I mean, I got teary eyed because he was like, "How could you ask for a better situation where we had all of our fans here and the we get the Rams gave away tickets to all the first responders for free and we took care of our community and it was so beautiful. So like, by far my favorite favorite memory this season was in the Coliseum. We were supposed to play, you know, again in Mexico City. And I got to, again, biasly and completely selfishly for my career to be able to do that. So, you know, it's really cool that at least this time, you know, I got my, my, you know, my time to do something like that and for them to then play, you know, at Wembley in London and a place that's very special to me uh, will be really cool this season. Man, yeah, I, that is rad. I've had questions and you've answered them organically. Like we've kind of, so, but I think we've run out of time, sadly. Oh, okay, I'm um, going to drink my coffee now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go have some coffee. Um, but I want to, you know, huge thank you again. Um, again, if you're, you know, make sure to follow Serena at Morales Morales. Now you guys know why. <laughs> and now you know why. Uh, and watch her stories. And you can follow her on Twitter as well. Yep, just at Serena. At Serena mm -hmm. on, Wow. Well, She's OG Twitter. Oh, <laughs> At Serena. Damn. <laughs> yep, OG. <laughs> right on. Well, huge thanks. Thanks a lot and for I look forward me. to uh, seeing you hopefully at Rams oh, yeah. uh, this season. I'll be there. My voice is back, guys. Get out of the way. She's back. Back with the scarves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, you know, huge thanks again to you guys for tuning in and uh, have a dynamite week and enjoy the draft. This is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio, and I'm out.